I am where I am and I've become friends with you and I've had a growth of knowledge in my pathway of how I want to help people because of my injuries. But it's also, I still deal with a lot of pain and tightness and stuff on a daily basis. So it's just enjoy some downtime, be able to recover better, be able to not train 100% every day. Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined the line later today by Danny O'Rourke. Now, normally I do my whole spiel and I talk about what's going on in my world and I give you thoughts about the show, but I'll be honest, you know, have you ever had one of those days or maybe one of those weeks where every day feels like it should be a day further ahead? Because that's how this week has been. Uh, Man, it's Monday. And it feels like it should be about Tuesday or Wednesday based on all the things that I've done today. Uh, My wife was working on this presentation for her work and we're using like the laptop from hell (laughs) to try and get it uploaded. And every step of the way, it's been some sort of issue. So instead of the usual fanfare, we're going to just jump right in to the show with Danny. Now, you know, if you've listened to this show for a while, I don't have former athletes on the show all the time. But when I do, you can be rest assured that they are legit. And trust me when I say this, Danny O'Rourke is legit. Danny was a two-time NCAA national champion in soccer at Indiana University, and that all culminated his senior year when he won the Mac Herman Trophy Award for the best collegiate soccer player in the nation. Now, that's pretty good by itself, right? But after college, Danny went on and had an 11-year MLS career that spanned stops in San Jose, New York, Columbus, and Portland. Oh, and those years were pretty darn successful, too. He won two MLS Cups, and he was a three-time Supporter Shield champion, which is basically awarded to the best team throughout the regular season. And today, Danny is back at IU, where he's an assistant soccer coach and has helped the team win back-to-back Big Ten regular season and conference tournament championships. So yeah. Like I said, the guy is kind of real, kind of legit. Now, in this show, Danny and I cover a ton of different topics. We talk about what he attributes his success to and the differences between the collegiate and professional soccer game. We talk about physical preparation and how that role evolved with him both early and then later on in his career when he was trying to get more years out of his body. And last but not least, we talk about the transition from playing to coaching and the things that he's learned along the way. Well, let me just be really honest here. Danny is not only one of the best human beings I know, but I can honestly say I wouldn't be the coach I am today without him coming into my life. So this was a fun podcast to record. I really hope you enjoy it. And enough for me. Let's do this. man thanks so much for coming on the show here today super excited to chat with you could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself uh yeah you know i'm daniel rourke i'm from columbus ohio born and raised and then spent probably half my life here in bloomington now played collegially here in bloomington indiana for indiana university and then ended up playing professionally for 11 years that's where i met you and then after coming back to fulfill my promise to my mom to get my college degree i stayed here in bloomington spent a year in ohio working in the private sector with physical prep. And then fortunately, a job opened up here in Bloomington where I could come back and coach my alma mater and kind of give back to the program that springboarded me into a lot of success. So this is my, I don't know how we count the COVID year. So I'd say this is still my third year here and I'm enjoying it and growing all the time. So I'm just happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me. I love it, man. So Talk to me a little bit about your path, because you obviously have a different route than most. Most people go to school, then they end up in you know the field somehow. How did you end up in the world of physical preparation? What got you excited about this? I'll probably find myself giving you a lot of props during our conversation <laughs> here. But if you follow your Instagram and you have you're going through the whole bulletproof knees thing right now, which is yep. pretty cool, you know, props to you going old school and kind of bringing it yeah. back. That's how I think I got involved. And I think, you know, we'll talk about it later. But you know, I was having knee problems and nothing I was doing was helping. And then, uh, you know, I got in contact with you and kind of realized that there are things that I've been doing wrong. And the way I approach my own training or recovery was way outdated. And I learned some things and they started to help and kind of prolong my career. So I was like, hey, this stuff works. 
And then it was, you know, can I implement this into my daily activity? Can I help other guys on the team with kind of what they're going through? And I saw it working for other people. So, you know, I just got really excited of being able to not only help myself and prolong my career, but also, you know, help my teammates and peers. And then when I retired, getting into it to hopefully the next generation or two that are coming up, can I, you know, at least point them in the right direction, if not help them both get better, but also with injury prevention, which is what I was dealing with. Yeah, I love it, man. So there's like a ton of topics I want to talk to you about because we could talk soccer. We can talk about your time in the fitness industry. We can talk about coming back to coaching. But I want to start with a very general question because I don't think I've ever asked you this. When you were just crushing high school and college soccer, because again, you crushed both of those levels. What were your views on the weight room and just training in general? I have to look back when I was in high school, I never touched a weight or did anything like that <laughs> until I was in high school and I was totally against it. And then my high school coach got us in the weight room and I became enamored with cleaning, whether yeah. it was like a hanging <laughs> clean or a regular one. I was like, hey, I'm going to try and beat all the names on the wall, the football players, you know, in the, right. in the you know, how much weight per per pound body weight I could throw up there and then bench press. And I was like, hey, this is fun, you know, and I, I liked the setting the bar, no pun intended, and trying to beat it every week. Yep. And I saw the changes not only aesthetically, but also how it translated to the field. And so, you know, I really started pushing that as I got into the college ranks. When you got to college is a little bit different, you know, having a strength coach, I think she's with University of Georgia now, but she was she was fantastic and kind of opened my eyes a little bit more to whether it was triplanar stuff or back then that helped with my performance. And then when it got to the professional level, I think you had him on before Steve Tashin was my principal and my growing knowledge and for getting better. And he was great. And then obviously coming to see you. So dude, Steve is such a wealth of knowledge, man. I felt like, you know, when you connected us, I don't know if we'd actually met until we hung out at your wedding. But man, just being able to talk to that guy and the experience that he's had and the amount of time he's put into this space, right? All the years with the crew, mm -hmm. going overseas, working with Everton, coming back to the crew, now with the U.S. national team. Dude, that guy's done it all, man. He's impressive. He has. He's, he's impressive. And he was the perfect balance of teaching, but also being like a friend and being able to relate to you as a player, um, yeah. which was fantastic. And he kind of showed me what we were doing wrong. He implemented new things that he had learned, whether it was, you know, with cats when he was back in the day or, you know, through Gary Gray and all that kind of stuff. He just really helped any way that he could. And it was fantastic. And he actually was good friends with Gary Gray and got me hooked up there one time. Oh, yeah. And he just he was willing to do whatever it took. I, I mean, he you know, hooked me up with that visit while he was even overseas, I think, between games with Everton. So he was just willing to go the extra mile. And there's no doubt that, you know, he is where he is because not only he's a wealth of knowledge, but he's just a great overall guy. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So talk to me about playing professional soccer. And I know this is something you've probably been asked numerous times, but there's a couple pieces here. Number one, just how is it different from the collegiate level? And then the second piece of that is what did you change about your game or maybe about your preparation to help you continue to grow as a player? Because, I mean, you had an incredibly decorated collegiate career, but you had a great professional career too. So how did you continue to grow once you got to that level? Yeah, I would say it was really weird. I never really thought about being a pro. I had the opportunity to play at Indiana, which is one of the top programs in the country. And then you're just thrust into you know an atmosphere or a culture that is as close to a pro level as it could be at the collegiate level. And you're around players that are really good players that have gone pro, whether it's, you know, Ned Grabovoy, Pat Noonan and stuff like that, that are always challenge you on a daily basis. And in any aspect of life or any professional sport, if you're around better players, you're going to automatically become better. So that was first and foremost. And then, you know, as you see yourself getting better and you go and you play in the summer leagues or, you know, you look at your film from your freshman year to your senior year and you've gotten better, then it's like, all right, what's the next step? And to be honest, I never thought about being a pro until I was done my senior year. And then that was kind of the next step. It went from, you know, one of the better moments in my career of winning the back-to-back -back national title to the MLS draft. And it was like, all right, here we go. It's the next step. And that's kind of how I approached everything. I never really thought about what I did or what I'm going to do. It was like, all right, what do I have to do today to get better? What do I have to do to get ready for this game? And then, you know, being drafted and starting on the career, it was like, it literally is starting all over again. And you're playing with guys who you know, or anywhere from a rookie coming in with you to a, I think I had like a 10, 11 year old or year vet with me. And you go in there and, you know, my dad was the pro. So I learned a couple of things from him of how to approach a locker room when you get there and you just 
I learned to be a sponge and go in there and to learn how to conduct myself, learn how to go about things the right way, whether that's being the guy that takes all the gear to and from training, or whether it's the guy that, you know, goes out to dinner and just listens on how to manage money and how to take care of your body. I learned a lot from all the vets. So I'm very appreciative of that. And then you mentioned what's the difference, you know, physically and, and mentally is, hey, you're playing with and against much better players. So you have to be clicked in, you have to have a short memory. So, you know, you're playing against Thierry Henry or Robbie Keane, or, you know, you're playing with Frankie Haydick or something like that. You have to be able to, you make a mistake and you can't dwell on it. And that was a very huge lesson for me because I was, I was a perfectionist. I didn't want to make mistakes. So right. learning to rebound from that was huge. And then you learn it's a grind. It's a, when you have guys coming in the off season and work with you, it's not only do you want to get better in the off season, but you have to get through the July's and Dallas games. You have to get through the midweek open cup games that are thrust in there and you're playing, right. you know, 40 odd games a year. And so it's a mental and physical grind and learning to deal with that and to enjoy the process was very vital. Yeah. I'm always reminded of something Dave Tinney told me, or I heard him say at a seminar when I was first getting into this space. And he said, you know, the crazy thing about soccer is when you're really good, you get rewarded by playing more games. And it was just like such this lucid statement, you know, and you're right. It's like, oh, Oh, well, now you're winning in U.S. Open Cup. So now you got to go play more games or, oh, you're doing really well in the MLS. Now you got to go play in CONCACAF or something else, right? Like Mm -hmm. the better you are, the more games you play and the more stress you put on the body. So it's very interesting how that works. Yeah. No, we found ourselves in that with the crew and we had success with the Supporter Shield or the MLS Cup is, all right, we won this now. Now we're traveling to Honduras to play a midweek game before we come back and play, you know, New England on a Saturday and you have to rotate the squad or you have to maybe just have more recovery days than you do training sessions. And so it's a true grind. And, you know, fortunately enough with more money being in the league and all that, now they're able to travel better and they're able to have different types of trackable technology. Now where they're able to understand the physiology and neurology of these players. So I think it's better than it was back when we were. So I'm glad they have that. But yeah, it was difficult, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be successful and play those games. You want to win, right? Exactly. So so you mentioned something before and you talked about mentors. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here, but like, do you have like one or two people that really stood out in your career, maybe helped you when you were just getting into the league and starting to find your way? Because not everybody comes in and is just immediately successful, right? Like a lot of times mm-hmm. you're a rookie, you take some lumps. So were there any people that like stood out to you? Yeah, I'd have to give credit for my first when I was a rookie in San Jose, the first person, Craig Weibel. I don't know many people who don't follow the league since the the get-go would know who he was. He coached at University of Michigan for a while afterwards, and he was fantastic. He and his wife took me out to dinner when I first got there and kind of just showed me the ropes and kind of would give me little lessons, you know, all the time, just what it took to just be a pro. You know, it wasn't necessarily how to play a certain way, but he just, you know, welcomed me into the league. And then as I got further through it and I got back to Columbus, I would say the two people there would be, you know, Frankie Haydick and Duncan Houghton were probably the two. They were the leaders of the team. You know, they'd been with Columbus for a while and they taught me how to train, to both train like a pro every day, but also how to live like a pro outside of it. So you can have, you can work hard in the field, but you can also relax and be a pro off of it. And that was something I didn't really know going into it. And I'd never seen someone able to do that like Frankie. So (laughs) he's just a different animal. I couldn't emulate anything that he did, but it was definitely somebody that I wouldn't have been the player I was without his tutelage. Was it you that was telling me the story about Frankie, about how he was just like in the off season surfing on a beach one day and somebody in the U.S. national team goes down? Mm-hmm. They call him in on two days notice. He goes in and plays 90 minutes in an international level match. I, I wouldn't put it past him. I, I, <laughs> I could see that happening 100%. He would, you know, all of us would be trying to, uh, you know, we take a couple days to a week off when the season was over and then get back into training. You know, I'd come see you or something like that. And he would just go to Southern California. He would surf. That's all he would do. And he'd come back. And, you know, if we had some sort of fitness test or the beep test, we all knew who the winner would be. It was Frankie, and he wasn't even close. That's crazy, man. And great guy, too. I met him also yeah. at your wedding and just mm-hmm. so unassuming and just like, oh, hey, I'm Frankie. I'm like, I know who you are, dude. <laughs> exactly. You're a legend, man. So we met in 2010-ish. You know, I'm getting old when the years start to kind of mesh together. But mm-hmm. like you alluded to up front, you were coming off a knee issue. And I'll give 
the listeners the story because first off, I don't think I was super popular outside of the T Nation realm. At that point in time, people knew me because I created products and that sort of thing, but I was not working with many high-level athletes. And so I get this email from a Danny O'Rourke who supposedly plays soccer, just so happens to be in Columbus too. And I'm like, dude, this is spam. No way this is a real human being. So I had to get on the Google machine and sure enough, I'm like, oh, wow, this guy really does play soccer. And then I was freaking out because I'm like, oh my God, like this is what I want to do. I want to work with high level athletes and help them get better. So that's kind of how we started things. But talk to me about where your head was at, right? Because again, you'd come off what? Supporter Shield. And MLS Cup, you guys were killing it at that point in time, but now you've got this neat thing going on. So where was your head at at that point in your career? It was on top of my neck. That was about, <laughs> that, that, that's about all I could say because I wasn't in a good head spot. And in, in fact, when I did send you an email, I was at this remote, almost like spa retreat in Sedona, Arizona. I remember that, yeah. It's called Miamo, M-I-I-A-M-O. If for your listeners ever want to get, I think they're closed now for renovation, but it's the best place in the world. Mm. And here I was at the most relaxing, tranquil place that I've ever been to. And I just couldn't turn anything off, whether it's my mind or my body. I wasn't on, you know, there was very little TV or internet. I had to go to a separate resort to even get on the internet there. And I was just researching, you know, I would literally wrote down a piece of paper, every ailment that I was feeling, every pain I was feeling. And I would type it into, as you said, the Google machine and your name just kept popping up. I'm like, okay. And then, you know, you mentioned T Nation and I'm like, well, that sounds something that I probably shouldn't get into because that's a bit, you know, <laughs> you know, that's a bit outside my realm. These guys could all, you know, lift a car. I can hardly, you know, lift this coffee mug <laughs> in my hand. So then your name just kept popping up. And then when it said bulletproof knees, I was like, hey, that's something I would like because my knees are hardly bulletproof right now. So I was like, hey no loss. I'll just get in contact with him. Is He's a big shot. I probably won't hear back from him. And literally, I think I got a response maybe the next day. And so I, you know, booked a trip when I got back from Arizona to go see you. And then it was, then everything just started understanding a lot, but it also opened up my eyes to everything the rabbit hole of, you right. know, the, of what I, I had no idea what I was doing and I was doing everything the wrong way. And I'm sure if this is 2010, you've changed your philosophy and what you know sure. exponentially since then as well. If you imagine someone who knew infinitely less than you guys did, I, you know, it was such a learning process for me. And just going in there and meeting with you and Bill, I still remember just seeing Bill for the first time and almost <laughs> being like, I think he said, are you sure you're a professional athlete? I was so like just banged jacked up. up and banged up and and he's like, he was surprised that I could move. And so it was a culmination of coming from college straight into the pro, straight into all these seasons where we were having success and all these open cup games and CONCACAF games and no off season. I don't think I took a day off in three, four years, pretty much, because I yeah. always wanted to keep pushing it. You know, whether it was a contract year I was in, whether it was a new coach who needed success and I was like, I could play anywhere on the field and I'll do it, whatever it takes for him to succeed and for our team to keep winning. You know, I went from having pain in my knee. I thought the thing I could do is I would take a Toradol injection before every game. That was, it was it. And it helped. I didn't feel anything, but then it just started building upon one another to a point where, you know, I was just adding so much dysfunction on top of dysfunction that it just, the pain became almost unbearable until I had knee surgery. And they said it would be a six to eight month recovery. And I think I was going on about 15 months where I just wasn't feeling right. And that's when I came to see you. Wow. That's crazy, man. So obviously from that point forward, I think I got progressively more time with you every off season while you were continuing your playing career. How did your approach to the weight room and physical prep change as you got more into the later stages of your career? Yeah. I mean, it went to more of a, how do I become a better player? How do I get, you know, the bigger, faster, stronger? How do I gain that 1% edge on my opponents to how do I undo some of this dysfunction or this pain that I've put myself in or to a recover from the previous game, but also get ready for the next one? How do I prolong my career? And that's kind of how it transitioned to. And it was a delicate balance between that where, you know, I think we put together some good programs where it would do that. And it wasn't easy because it was, you know, you rob Peter to pay Paul sometimes. And right. so that's kind of what we were, you know, every off season, what we would do. And even sometimes during the season when we'd have an off week and I'd be like, Hey, Mike, can, you got some time for me to see your, yeah. old, your old pal. So, yeah. um, 
But yeah, that's kind of what it came down to. And I think that's so important because so many times young coaches come in and they think, oh man, I got this high level athlete. I'm about to go in and blow them up. You know, like I'm going to just put them through the ringer. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe they need that. But you know, a lot of times if somebody is good enough to play at the professional level, like they have the physical qualities necessary to do that. What's way more important is to give them the ability to be on the field or on the pitch. Like how many guys did you see over the course of your career? They look great for a week or maybe a month stretch, but then they'd be out for two or three months and you can't rely on them. I mm-hmm. think that's just such an important note. And I'm sure it's something that you saw numerous times over your career. hundred percent. And I felt it too, because when I was coming back and then even, even after working with you and I'd play well in a game, but then I'd pick up another knock or something like that. And I'd yeah. be in my coach's office and I could just sense his frustration on along with mine of I can't rely on this guy to be there week in week out and as a coach now I understand it having players out there that you know the consistency that you want and players if I were to ask you would you rather have someone that is consistently playing at 80 90 percent of their ability or someone who has an a game at 100 but then has two or three games where either can't play or you know he's at 50 percent I take the consistent guy you know 10 out of 10 times and like you said, if you're not on the field, you know, you, you can't help your team win, but you can't get a new country. You can't prolong your career. So that was kind of the next step for us. Yeah, I love it, man. So one thing that people may not know about you is that, you know, you have this illustrious professional career and then kind of in between that and where you're at now, you spend some time in the private sector as a coach as well as a strength coach, a physical prep coach. So talk to me about that time and maybe what you learned working in that space. Absolutely. So like I said, I really enjoyed a learning about the body, learning about movement, learning about, you know, all these new things that I didn't know, whether it was PRI, DNS, you know, whether it was different ways to move, all this different stuff. And I was like, man, there are a lot of people out there that are kind of stuck in the past, kind of like I was. And so I was like, I just want to keep learning. And I was fortunate enough when I was back home in Columbus, Ohio, I got linked up with uh, JL Holdsworth at the spot and who runs a fantastic gym there. And he has a couple of them. So I worked at the one in Dublin and I was there for about a year. And the experience and the knowledge that I learned there was invaluable. You know, I'd been a guy in a gym, whether I was in a professional setting or whether I was working with you that was a client but I was never, you know, an employee or a coach. So just going in there and his gym is different from yours where I learned the way that he went about things. So now I had, whether it was learning the basics of speed, agility, and quickness and how to coach them. That for me was the biggest part because, you know, it translates to what I'm doing now with the guys in the field. So what I liked was I could learn, you know, the different shin angles or learn how to coach, change the direction and all this stuff. And now I'm able to work with the guys here on the team at, at Indiana and I'm able to just take the basics and can how this is what Todd, our head coach, wants to work on this week. Here are the drills that we're going to do. So how do I take, you know, the 15, 20 minutes of physical that I have with the guys first and how can I twist that or make some drill that helps those guys that A, gets them doing the right thing, but B, like, you know, isn't the same boring, like, ladders that maybe right. the guys have been doing for a long time. Like, how do I? And so that's been fantastic for me because it keeps me learning, but it also lets me just be fresh and be able to invent things and invent new drills and think about what works and what doesn't. And without that time at the spot, there's no doubt that I wouldn't be able to do that now. So, and the second thing is coaching, you know, whether it was middle school, high school, and some college players there, and even some professional players, it made me miss the game. And so it was like, okay, I loved soccer. Let me get into the physical preparation part, which I really enjoyed, but I wasn't around the game. And it made me be like, all right, I, I need to be a part of that. Yeah. I think that's one of the hard parts is you're invested in the people, but you're not around the game as much as you would like. And one thing that I always tell interns when it comes to coaching, like I remember when we first started our internship program at IFAST a long time ago, and you're stuck with me because I'm your internship coordinator at that point in time. And I would say, okay, uh, Nick, I want you to teach TJ how to foam roll and be like, what do you mean? We want you to teach them how to foam roll. And they're like, well, I know how to foam roll. I'm like, I know you know how to foam roll, but can you teach somebody else? And that's such a big step for so many people. I'm imagining it was a little bit easier for you because you are such a thoughtful guy and you spent so much time around the game. But 
man, that's one of the hardest things is teaching something that you know that's innate, that yep. you've learned so many times over the years, and then teaching somebody that has no clue what you're talking about is very challenging. That's the hardest part about transitioning from a player to a coach. Hmm. Literally, is we're out there and there's certain things that our team isn't doing well. Don't get me wrong, there are a lot of players in our team that do things better, whether it's finishing or whether it's some of their technical ability that are, you know, at my level, if not better than when I was a professional. But there are certain things when it comes to mentality or defense or something like that, which was kind of what I enjoyed and what I was good at that maybe our team is lacking and understanding why, just why aren't they doing this? This is so simple, but it was simple for me because I was a different player. So how I can't be out there you know, showing them how to press or showing them how to defend. It's how do I break it down so I can use my voice as opposed to, you know, physically being out there with them and and showing them. And so that's been the biggest learning process, transitioning from a player to a coach is using my voice and showing guys how to do things without being out there. Yeah, I love it. So you kind of already jumped into this. So I want to dive into this topic a little bit more and, and this transition from player to coach and everybody in your position deals with it. What growing pains did you maybe have with that? And you kind of already talked about it a little bit, but again, so many things, I think after your time and experience, like how do you come back to and help a kid understand like, hey, this is where I need you to be. This is what you're not doing. This is where I need you to be next time. Like, how do you deal with that? Something sticks out, I think, and it's probably universal in a lot of weight rooms or a lot of the circle that you find yourself in is the every individual is unique mm-hmm. and you can't just have one approach to everybody. And, you know, I think that applies to a lot of things in life, but you look at the makeup of our team and not only on the field, but who they are as a person and how can I relate how to defend or how to certain tactical things to one guy is different than how I'm going to approach another one. It's how they react to how you're coaching. And that for me is difficult. You know, you have to be able to wear a lot of different hats. And so, you know, I go to one guy and I can get on him and yell at him and push him and try to motivate him, you know, externally. Or then there's one other guy where you have to put your arm around him and kind of coddle him a little bit. And, you know, it's not one way is better than the other. It's just being able to treat guys differently and how they respond. And so I was always the guy that responded by, you know, the best coaches, the ones that I remember were the ones that were the hardest on me, you know, whether right. it was Mike Makovich or Caleb Porter or even Ziggy Schmidt. Would, if I wasn't playing well, I wanted to know it and I wanted you to let me know it. And even if it was in front of a whole team and, you know, I didn't get embarrassed by it. I knew I was the first person who knew I didn't play well that game or wasn't, you know, doing well in this drill. I, I want to know it. And some guys, especially nowadays, like they don't like that pressure. They don't like being in front of a group and being called out and realizing which guys on our team can handle that and who can't is huge. So that's been a difficult transition, but it's very rewarding when a guy responds. In fact, last game, there's a guy we've been working with and a lot on how to respond and how to transition and defend. And we didn't start him in a game because of that, because he didn't start the game well. He didn't pressure or defend the way we needed to because our team hadn't been doing it well. And when he got on the field, his first two plays were tracking back and defending well. And just to see that change from him was was very rewarding and you could see the smile on his face when you bring it up to him after the game and he hopefully it clicks and now it just becomes ingrained in him as the player now and it'll help him because he has aspirations to play at the next level but it'll only help our team as we move forward and another one is finding that balance between okay now you're you're not in the locker room so you're not the player and you still feel like a player yep you have to be that not a father figure. We have to be someone of an authority figure almost. So you, you have to find that boundary of when my coach, but when can I just, you know, joke around with them and, right. and all that? Cause you miss it as a player. That's the number one thing you miss is being out there and being in a locker room and joking around with the guys, but they're half your age now and you have to be able <laughs> to kind of let them have their own separate things. So. Yeah. And that's unique too. Cause you know, the longer I did this or the longer I've done this, I think when I was younger, it was way more buddy, buddy. And I think you have to be right. You can't wear the Like I'm a dad or I'm a mentor hat when you're 28 and you're coaching somebody that's 22 or 23, right? Right. But, you know, I mean, I'm 42 now. So when I coach some of these guys that are in the NBA, I mean, like, dude, Ty was like 19. He was 20 when he got drafted. You know, my college Mm -hmm. kids are college age. So there's a different dynamic there. But I don't think your analogy is wrong. Like there's very much like a fatherly mentor type relationship you take with these kids because you're invested in them, right? It's not just like... Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm getting paid, whatever. Like very few people in coaching have that mindset. 
It's very much, I want to coach you. I want to educate you. And I think the best coaches understand that, hey man, the stuff that I'm trying to teach you within the game and just being a coach and a mentor to you now is going to carry over to every aspect of your life. 100%. You know? Yep. It's getting on a guy because he has to play better because he said, hey, what do you want to be? Do you want to you there? are like, I want to be a pro. Everyone wants to be a pro, right? Sure. Well, so, okay, you want to be a pro. So there are a lot of things mentally or maybe off the field or, or the way you train or the way, you know, your, your nutrition, like there are a lot of things that you're saying you want to do this, but you don't. And so how you're not going through with it, you're not training like you're supposed to, you're not carrying yourself like you're supposed to. So, you know, how do I show them that without, I don't know, it's difficult to say, but it's different these days with the way that they're growing up in the academy and they see their friends and they have the Instagram accounts and the Twitter and everything. And they see all these guys having success at a, at a young age, but then also the guys like golfing. So maybe, you know, every once in a while, you know, you know, I'm not too old where I'm, you know, can't go out there and golf with them or they want to play Settlers of Catan or something like that. <laughs> and it's like, we're similar like you when we would chat and I would be training with you and then you're like, Hey, you want to play some Halo? And we'd come over and, and, and play some Xbox. So, right. you know, it's that delicate balance, but you know, if you teeter on that line of what's right, I think it's the perfect balance that we have, but every once in a while I might have to catch myself, you know, taking a step back or maybe you know, coach will, will remind me, Hey, you know, let's make sure we don't banter too much with these guys because you get caught up in it. So right. it's fun though. Right. I love it. So you've seen the physical prep world from both a player and a coach's perspective. So now I'm intrigued. How can we continue to grow and evolve or maybe more specifically, how can we help our athletes get even better results going forward? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. With such a wealth of knowledge out there and, you know, with the Internet and people being able to find whatever they need, I think it's important to not get too carried away and to not everything out there is correct. And I think being able to filter through a lot of the BS out yep. there, but also at the same time, keep pushing the limits of what works and what doesn't. So I think that's an, another delicate balance, you know, not being like, all right, this is what I do. Like I'm going to train this way, whether it's a certain alphabet soup type of training or something like that. I'm this works is what, what I'm going to do. And it's being open to, Hey, this works for this guy. It doesn't work for this guy. Can I have a lot of different tools in my toolbox? And I'm the first person to admit that everything that I've pretty much learned is through a firsthand account of what I needed or what I, I try to follow the right people online and to cross reference with other things or to try it out on myself. Like I'll write a training program for myself and see during this eight weeks, what worked, what didn't. And then just to be able to then take it to certain guys on the team. And, you know, this guy's suffering from this ailment or this guy needs this physical attribute that he really wants to get better at and using that with him. So I think that uh, that balance between an over absorption of too much information, which I've been very guilty of in the past, you know, when yeah. I want to learn everything down this rabbit hole, but then also narrowing it down to these different tools in my toolbox. So I'm trying to think what else. That's a very, very big question. I think I know. the wearables and the tracking and all that stuff too, I think it's huge now and being able to implement like not only the data that helps our team get better and to recover better, but I also think individualized programs of what players need. I think we just kind of touched on that towards the end of my career, the stuff that we're able to do now with the guys and, and what we're able to monitor their recovery and track their training loads and all that kind of stuff is huge. And I think there'll be a lot of stuff in the future that'll, that'll definitely help them get better. For sure. All right, my guy, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum, and give young Danny O'Rourke one piece of advice, what would it be? Marry my wife sooner, I guess. <laughs> that's uh, a good one. That's a good one. She's that gonna would, like that. That. Might, that might that might get me maybe you know some brownie some points. Some brownie points. No, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say two things. Take some time off. Mm. You know, recovery was never something that I used. And it, I think that was kind of what got me into the path that I was on. It, maybe it didn't allow me to get in contact with you. So there's a lot of different things where it's I am where I am and I've become friends with you and I've had a growth of knowledge in my pathway of how I want to help people because of my injuries. But it's also, I still deal with a lot of pain and tightness and stuff on a daily basis. So it's just enjoy some downtime, be able to recover better, be able to not train a hundred percent every day. I mentally always be a hundred percent, but it's like, I wanted to push myself to the limit and do extra stuff in the weight room and stay after and almost grind myself into the ground because I really wanted to get better. But could I have done the same thing, but smarter and be able to track my recovery and do that so that, yeah, that would for sure be number one. The second one would be just to enjoy the process a bit more in the ride. I was always, 
you know, what can I do today to get better? And right. it was never, I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have. And now I look back on it and, you know, when people talk about the success we had as an individual, as a team, it's, it's like, I, yeah, you know what, that was a pretty big deal. And I didn't really get a chance in the moment to enjoy it. So those are probably the two biggest ones for me. I love it. Random side question. How often do you go out in training and just show these boys how it's done right now? <laughs> Well, Todd doesn't, if I do that, if we need the numbers or if we need to maybe set the tone, he makes me usually be a neutral. So yeah. I can't tackle people. Oh, which is, come on, Todd. Which I know is frustrating for me because that was half my game. Right there, was <laughs> but, yeah, it's fun to get out there with them sometimes and compete and to show the guys, you know, what it takes to win. There are a lot of guys in the team that, like I said, are better at finishing or maybe even possession certain things. But training with a mentality to win at every cost is something that I feel like I can help these guys with. So hopefully he'll take the training wheels off. I don't see it happening because we, you know, we have I'll a lot. Talk to him. You know, we, <laughs> I'll talk to him. To, Come on. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I'm going to give you a random side note. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. So do you remember when you came in and trained with Indy for like two weeks when I was actually I on the field and, and doing all that stuff with them? Tim, I remember. Old Timmy Regan, who is now the head yep. coach at Bradley, was the assistant there at the time. And he said, you know what? He's like, there are probably guys at our level or maybe even on our club that have technical skills that might be better than Danny O'Rourke, but not one of these guys has the heart and the competitiveness, and he's a winner. And I was just like, damn, okay, Tim. Like, he just brought it, and I was like, I get it. Because then I watch you, and I watch these other guys, and nothing against those guys, right? But man, just you aren't going to lose, and you can't say enough about that, right? Like, that competitiveness and that desire to win. Like, you can't put that in somebody. You can't instill it. They've got to want it. Remind me to Venmo Timmy. Yeah. <laughs> a, 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 tw a 20 spot for, for saying that to you. Yeah, it was, was cool. He was, a good, he was a good teammate in New York. He was a stand-up guy and always knew he was going to be a good coach. And so, yeah, yeah. if you if you hear this, thanks, man. Yeah, I, <laughs> I learned a lot from him, too, just as a coach and about the game. So I appreciate him, man. Okay, last but not least, lightning round. And I've added a couple questions along the way. This yes. will be fun. This will be fun. Okay, number one, this one won't be easy. What's your career highlight as both a player and as a coach? For me, the team champion, the titles were always most important, way more important than individual stuff. But if I didn't narrow it, I mean, the high school title was fun. But I would say it has to be a, geez, a tie between, I think, the 2003, the first national championship at Indiana, because it was yeah. the legendary you know, Coach Yeagley's last game. So that was just like a literally a Cinderella story type thing. And winning, right. having him go out at on his final game as a champion is that's awesome. Something that I'll, you know, yeah, I'll always hold that near and dear to my heart because he was, you know, apart from my dad, probably the most important figure for me, you know, growing up. So I'd say between that and then, you know, in 2008, winning the the title with Columbus and with my whole family being there and then winning for the, the city that you grew up in, you have so much pride for. I mean, you really, it's a toss up between those two. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay. Number two, who's the better Halo player? You or Chad Marshall? <laughs> well, it's lightning round. Surprised to be a quick answer. And if he hears this, he'll kill me. But I think... I think I had more ups and downs. I was more of a volatile Streaky. player. So my highs, I think, were higher. He was more consistent. And so I'd give a slight lean to me. But it got to a point where we had to cap how late we would play into the night so that we could, you know, wake up and train the next day. And or else I'd keep playing all night long. So, you know, sometimes I'd have to maybe take like a Tylenol PM so we would actually cap it because I couldn't <laughs> stop playing. Yes. So there came a fine line between where... I would start getting sleepy and I would, you know, start jumping off the map or not getting kills. And then he would get, he would be like, Hey, Dan, did you, did you, did you take a town LPM? I'd say, yeah. And then it would say, Chad Marshall has signed off. He would just quit because he knew that it was going straight downhill from there. Um, That's hilarious. No, he was really good too. Those were some good times with him. That's funny. I wish we would have known each other at that point because before we opened iFast, I had like the six month period where I wasn't in home training anymore. And I was just doing like consulting and all that. And yeah, there were a lot of nights where I was up till three, three thirty in the morning, getting up at like noon. And I realized, oh, I can't do this forever. So <laughs> exactly. this, this can't be my life forever. Oh, okay. Staying on the topic of soccer. How does it feel being the most tenured MLS soccer player to not score a goal? Oh, <laughs> uh, dude, that was coming. Um, <laughs> so... I'm going to change that question. I'm going to reframe it for you. And I'm going to say, it. 
you said, how does it feel being remembered is that, well, no one remembers if I would have just scored one. This is true. So it's almost like that title I hold near and dear to my heart. No, at the end of the day, for me, like, I think it's funny because I couldn't care less about goals or anything like that. So it, I was always back on corner kicks. I knew my role that I had to win the ball and give it to our attacking players. And we have guys like Schiloto and on the crew or Eddie Gavin, Robbie Rogers, Alejandro Moreno, or you have guys like Diego Valeri or Darlington Nagby on, on the yeah. Timbers. It's like, why do I have to score? You know, I just need right. to defend and do my job, but I don't mind it. And I just hope no one overtakes my official <laughs> reign as um, actually, right. yeah. And I'm, is it one or two? I'm not sure. There might be one guy that might still be ahead of me before my time. Oh, really? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. there might be. I'm, I don't know, but Hopefully not. I'll have to yeah. look. Okay, so side note to that. What was the closest you ever came to scoring? I remember in Portland, you had a good shot. Yeah, probably screamed that one over Str- the top. Struck it a little ball. high. It was a little high. Yeah, yeah, I got I got excited. <laughs> it was. I was too close to goal. It was like a, a, like an electric fence, and I was a dog. And I was like, <laughs> got to get rid of it. You're not used to being in, outside of your yard. Now, there was one time, I think we were playing Dallas when I was in Columbus, and I won the ball and, and it was probably like 30 out and I just was feeling it, I guess. And I just took a took shot. A and it, it ricocheted off someone's foot and it dipped over the goalkeeper's head and hit the crossbar and went out for uh. a corner. And I think there was just like a collective just gas from everybody on the field, maybe even in the stands. You know, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, is it really happening? But that was probably the closest I got. And then I just went back and was like, yeah, it's probably never going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> I love yeah. it, man. OK, still more soccer. Best offensive player you ever had to mark. I mean, that's too That's too easy. That'd be messy. Yeah. When we played Barcelona with New York and it was I never got nervous before games. Because I just enjoyed playing so much and competing. But, you know, I didn't. That was the first time I never slept before a game because, you know, this is back in 2006 where, you know, Messi was just coming up. Like he, I remember Ronaldinho saying in a press conference about, you know, being the best player in the world. And he said something along the lines of, I'm not even the best player on my team. Mm. He was referring to a young Messi. Yeah. And so playing against those who, at, at that time, was, Ronaldinho was probably better because he was, he was, you know, two time player of the year, I think. Right. But, um, but he saw the writing I'd on say, the wall. Yeah. Yeah. It's six, one half dozen. The other one of those two is probably one of the best. That was a drill and how to, you know, keep the ball away from your opponent from Barcelona in that game. That was, I, I think I played 70 minutes that game and touched the ball four times. So you're just chasing um, the whole time. It was a great fitness drill. Oh you my know, God. Never, yeah, it was, it was great. But I'd say in the league, I always liked playing the best players because I tended to take that as an individual challenge and it really helped me elevate my game. And I think, you know, the ones I had trouble with were like the bigger, taller forwards. So for me, it would be like maybe a Brian McBride who scored Mm -hmm. a header on me because I couldn't get up that high. I was, you know, Chad, I'll remind you, I'm not six foot. Right. So and he scored a goal on us in the conference finals. That was tough. But the one I looked forward to the most when I was with Portland was playing Robbie Keane. Yeah, I thought you might say he was. He was so good. And it was one of those ones where he could even have an off game where you could be shutting him down all game. And he just needed like just one half chance in the box. And you just had to be clicked in all the time. And he would joke on the field and he would say, I almost had you that time. Or he was just a real, a real Santa and a fantastic player. I think he, when we talk about the best players to play in our league, the fact that he kind of gets overlooked by some of the bigger name guys like a, you know, Zlatan or Beckham or Henri and stuff. I think Keen is up there. if not, not at the top. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Okay. Fill in the blank. The best defensive performance you ever saw was. I mean, every day playing next to Frankie and Chad, I would say yeah. my job was easy. You know, I would sit there and I would let Chad win head balls. I would let Frankie defend one V one. I said to clean everything up between those two. Talk about fortunate enough to play between those two guys i don't think there's one moment i could i could really say i would say the whole season that chad put together and i'd say i think 2008 when he got defender of the year just the the combination of his you know aerial ability and his his ability to defend against shorter quicker guys i think he was someone who people thought you know he wasn't on the the national team as much as he should have been right whether and that's a shame because he was in my opinion the best defender to ever play and then you know the, Frankie that year too in 2008 was just the best right back I'd, I'd ever seen and yeah so I'd say literally every day in practice if not in games playing next to those two I would yeah. say Dave Tenney showed this video one time and I forget when it was from but he was just talking about like speed and people think oh Chad's really big he must not be fast and he was like maybe the second or third fastest person on the team 
I mean, they showed him opening up to recover on a ball, and it was amazing how fast that guy closed down space. It was crazy. Yeah, and, and you talk, you know, you can get lost in speed that you measure, whether you're doing a, a flying 30 or whether you're doing a 40-yard dash or stuff like that, but then you start breaking down the game speed or your sports-specific speed and all that kind of thing. What do you do when you're defending someone? You have to make a tackle and you, you have to recover and, right. and block a shot. That's completely different. Going back to one of the things we talked about with what I learned at the spot was everyone wants to get quicker and faster and all that stuff, but it's like, it's not all what you do in the gym, it's how you react to things. And so being able to react, and I don't think anyone was better than Chad at that. Like he was able to, to just react on a dime for his size. So that was fantastic. But yeah, it, when it came down to making just one play to, to block a shot, he just always seemed to make a, a play in a moment. And for me, I'll take that over, you know, weight room or weight room speed all the time. Right. It's what you hear about when you hear about like vets that have been playing 12, 15, 18 years. And they're like, man, the game's just slowed down. It's like their physical abilities aren't where they used to be, but their mm -hmm. perception and their understanding of the game is so much better, you mm -hmm. know, like they're where they need to be. So they don't have to be as athletic because they see the game and they play at a different speed now, you know? Yeah, arguably the best defender to ever play, you could say Paul Maldini for the Italian national team. Mm. He said, if I had to make a tackle, I already made a mistake. Yeah. And so it's like the more you play, the better positions you're in, the better angles you take to close someone, the better decisions you make when you have the ball is completely different. And so, you know, people are in their prime in soccer when they combine their physical attributes with their game recognition and their and the stuff they learn. So I think that, you know, that goes without saying. I love it. Okay. A couple of real quick ones. Best coffee in Columbus. I got to go and get Cafe, one cup. Where am I going? Cafe Brioso. It's where I stop all the time to okay. go back there. It's fantastic. Okay. And I know you probably enjoyed your time in Portland as well. Best coffee shop in Portland. Oh, that's a tough one. Portland has got, you know, probably the best coffee culture in the, in the country. I would say, um, barista even though they import their they don't roast on their own they may now i don't know but it was a great atmosphere with great baristas there so that's where we'd go and play sellers get tan all the time and have I mean, a couple espresso shots i mean i just imagine you with like your hat just your your moleskin notebook just deconstructing the human body after practice you know all the time yeah i, w I went from being a complete outcast in columbus with you know with the, <laughs> with the beard and and the notebook and, and all that stuff to just sliding right into my comfort zone in Portland when I got when I got traded there. So yeah, that, that was easy. That's awesome, man. Okay, last but not least, what's next for Danny Overwork? Well, I have a, a meeting to go over practice at two thirty with the team. So okay. no, no, but in the big picture, I don't know. I'm in a sweet spot right now, and I know my wife and I will be talking about the next steps and everything. But the ability here to not only coach soccer, but also to be able to be put in charge of, you know, with the, with the other strength coach who work here and working on their off-season programs and working on their in-season programs and the recovery, just that balance between wearing both hats is if I could find something similar at a different place where, you know, I, I could be challenged, whether that's, you know, in the MLS or whether it's, you know, there's ever be an opportunity overseas or something like that is, I don't know if I'd want to take one of those hats off, again, right. you know what I mean? And right. so it's, it's a very unique position that I'm in now. And Todd, you know, fortunately enough, lets me do both. And I, I really enjoy doing that with them. So for me, though, I always like a challenge. And I, always, I never like to be too stagnant. I always like to challenge myself with what I learn or, you know, even if it's a new trick of the trade. So right now, my eyes are open for whatever's available. And I'll be talking with my wife about what's next. But I don't know. Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> Call your boy Steve <laughs> Tajan, man. He... <laughs> Although he sounds like he's got a pretty good crew, man. He's got Darcy oh, yeah. over there. He's got Jordan Webb, but that would he's be a got bad a great. Yeah. No, Steve was great when I was in Columbus, and he, you know, sometimes he's his home base is in Columbus now, and he pulled me aside, and we just had a meeting and stuff like that. And he kind of let me know, you know, if I ever wanted to go to the next level, what they look for, what and all that stuff. And I was gonna go into a camp and kind of learn from them, or whether you know, I talked to Caleb Porter with the crew and going there to kind of learn what they're doing there. And then COVID came, and I wasn't able to go to yes. uh, to either one. I mean. There's a lot of other things that have been worse than that, so I'm not going to complain about it. But, you know, those are definitely things that intrigue me because I like being challenged and learning new things. And I think, especially with the national team, they're doing some fantastic work there with what they're tracking and what they're doing with those guys. And, you know, listening to your podcast with him and, you know, how they're able to 
talk with the, you know, especially the European players that are in completely different schedule and doing completely right. different things and who gets long, you know, able to leave for duty and all that kind of stuff and how they correspond back and forth with their strength coaches and everything. So that's, that'd be an interesting challenge to try to make all those puzzle pieces fit. Cause you know, that's what I love doing is putting all these different puzzle pieces together to try to make it fit. So you know, if there's anything that comes about, I'm more than happy to look at it. Yeah, man, that'd be pretty sweet. And mm-hmm. they probably got two at least good cycles coming up here. They got some fresh mm-hmm. young talent, man. It's going to be yeah. exciting eight years or so for men's soccer here in the U.S., so I'm excited. Yeah, we're all pulling for them because, I mean, everyone always asks, you know, U.S. is always a world power when it comes to different, you know, Olympic sports or basketball, all this different type of stuff. Like, why aren't we that in soccer? Well, our life with, you know, the... We haven't been playing as long as these other countries, you know, and we, right. we don't have the culture and we're just, we're finding our way and finding that delicate balance between when we were successful back in, you know, 98 or 2002, when we would not play the most attractive soccer, but we would battle and we have yeah. really good athletes. And, and then how do we transition to the game now where it's wide open and you try to play out of the back and you try to build and, you know, that's not going to work against a Brazil or a Spain or something like that, but it might right. work in a CONCACAF game. And so it's finding our identity, but not being too stubborn where we're going to try and do stuff that either we don't have the players with or we're playing a team that we can't do it against. So right. I'm interested to see where it goes. I think, you know, we're all rooting for the team to be successful. And so we'll see. Yeah, I love it, man. Well, Danny, you've been great to catch up with. Where can my listeners either find out more about you or connect with you? Anything. I got to step my, I guess, social media game up. I'm True. non-existent on there. I just follow all you smart people and try to learn. <laughs> I don't really post anything myself. <laughs> No, I mean, if there is anyone out there who wants to connect that you have my information, they can contact me, email, phone, whatever. I'd be more than happy to, you know, with anything in the soccer world or if anyone wants to chat to help out that way. But other than that, I would love to see people at games when we're allowed to have fans. And yeah, yeah, that's about it. I love it, man. Well, Danny, dude, thanks so much for coming on, buddy. This was really fun. Thanks for slumming down and having me on. I feel privileged <laughs> to be, you know, on the show with all the smart people who have come before me. that does it for this week's show with Danny. Really hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, one of my all-time favorite human beings, the fact that he trusted me with his body and that we got him back out there and got him, you know, an extra four, five years on his career. I mean, I wouldn't be where I'm at today if I didn't have those successes with him and if I didn't grow as a coach by working with him. So I owe a lot to him, probably more (laughs) than he will ever owe to me. But man, I just, I enjoyed catching up with him. I hope you learned a thing or two uh, about the world of professional soccer, about evolving from player to coach, because we all do that at some point in time, right? Like most of us that are into this played sports at some level or we're passionate about sports and not everybody plays at the level that Danny did. So everybody has to make that transition. You know, he just had to make it a lot later than a lot of us because he was so successful in his sport. So again, hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, do me a favor. If you're not already subscribed to the show, anywhere you consume podcasts, you can get the physical prep podcast. So iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you go to listen to your podcast, subscribe there so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So as always, my friend, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.